0: And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 103.7 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so. Be it through 103.7thegame.com, the free 103.7 The Game mobile app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and any other way you consume your podcast. Because trust me, I know there's a lot of different ways people like to listen to podcasts in 2020. We got you covered as we get into that new year. And just we got some great new stuff coming up in 2021 for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. So give some details about that down the road. But in the meantime, and in between time, let's waste little time and get straight to business with a three count. One, two, three. First things first, let's go back all the way to Monday with the announcement that Becky Lynch and Seth Rollins welcomed the birth of their first child named Rue. This actually happened right after we finished the podcast. The man is now the mom. Lynch and Seth Rollins announced the birth of their first child, a girl named Rue. Which definitely was interesting because now you, know, you think about it. Around these parts here, where Cajun Strong style emanates from, it means something else entirely. But I'm interested in finding out the reasoning behind it. Will we hear that? Probably not. But definitely makes me think of something entirely different. It makes me feel like having a gumbo right about now. Also, reportedly, they had kept things a secret, and WB had said they had the chow on the Friday, but waited until Monday to announce it. Makes sense. Give it a few days to kinda rest and relax, and then make the announcement. Hell, they could have just waited a few weeks for some exclusive release through people or whatever. Whatever people do these days. The other big news story of the week, Keith Lee sent back to the Performance Center for more training. I think Vince McMahon has lost his marbles. Everybody started losing their mind over the weekend with the announcement that Keith Lee, among others, oh, this is one of the more notable ones, the Dabakato mace from Retribution, they're all being sent back to the Performance Center for a little bit more seasoning. However, according to good old Uncle Dave, definitely no reason to be concerned. This move is not viewed internally as a demotion. It's instead considered a case of further polishing Lee and company so they are ready for more major opportunities in the future because you think Lee could very well be the guy. I mean, he definitely feels like a guy that's been talked about a lot. He's the most talked about name. He's the veteran guy. And he has a chance to become a world champion. He definitely did a great job in NXT, winning both the North American and the NXT title. He lost it quickly, but it was more because they are ready to call him up. And if you beat Randy Orton in your first match on the main roster, that kind of makes you wonder why you're sending him down. But apparently McMahon was unhappy with the in-ring work of those performers and believes Lee is not ready for a primetime spot quite yet. And again, That doesn't mean, oh, hey, he's being sent down to the developmental, the performance center, like, let's say, the Big Show or Mark Henry, where they got sent down for a lot of other different reasons. Big Show is to kind of make sure he loses some weight because he was definitely a fat ass, if you will. He had a lot of other things going on with Big Show and Mark Henry, kind of having them lose weight and become less green. So it makes sense having those guys go down to developmental. This is a situation where you're just getting him a little bit more polishing, a little more season Working with a guy like Drew Gulak could do wonders for a lot of these guys. And the final bit of news. Snoop Dogg is going to do commentary on Dynamite on January 6th. WB and Snoop Dogg have a lot of heat right now because of this. But he's going to be appearing on Dynamite. Going to be doing commentary as part of night two of the New Year's Bash. And honestly, he's done well in the past with commentary. He did commentary for hockey and really did a great job. It was even fun on NHL twenty. As a little guest commentator, which is a really cool Easter egg that I that I enjoyed a good bit. And he also did a fantastic job. I think this is a big reason why he's getting the opportunity to commentary for Dynamite. Did a great job for the Tyson's Jones exhibition that happened a few weeks ago. It wasn't a fight. It was an exhibition. So I think he could do well, especially since it's not a WWE commentary style where Vince is in your ear at all times. It feels like things are a little bit more loosey-goosey on AEW. Sometimes to its credit, sometimes to its discredit. Especially after everybody's kind of got on good old JR. Jim Ross about it. Now let's get into the in-ring action right now. And This is going to be a lot different than most shows. Because I actually watched a lot of stuff outside of WWE. I watched very little to no WWE. I watched a little bit of SmackDown. I don't have a whole lot of thoughts about it because I still got to watch it with sound on. And that was an interesting show to say, at least. But I spent more time, because of everything that's going on in the sport of pro wrestling involving everything outside of the WWE had me interested. So I spent a lot more time, and for the first time in a long time, I sat down and watched an entire episode of Impact. And it was interesting. And this was a go-home show for their final resolution, pay-per-view or Impact Plus event, which is, that alone is an interesting statement in 2020. But this was on Twitch, and they had huge numbers for this, actually bigger numbers than they've ever had Since being part of Access TV in terms of the ratings, in terms of the Twitch views, the Twitch streams were out of this world for that product. And again, deservedly so. Deservedly so. And we're gonna start off looking at the way Impact was on Tuesday night, and it was a damn good show on paper. Chris Saban, Josh Alexander opened up the show. Really fun match for me. Chris Saban getting over the win. Over Josh Alexander Courtesy of a roll-up, continuing to show some some chinks in the armor of the North. It looks like they're gonna be wrapping up very soon because Ethan Page is gonna be a free agent at the end of the year. But the second I heard the motor city machine guns, because I knew they had been back, but it was always just kind of like crazy to think that in 2020 they're back in TNA, because they were a big deal back in 2010, that series with beer money is without a doubt still a deep cut for me. I will always love that. And I love the nice little throwback to back in the day. Just having them there, they were great in the late 2000s, early 2010s. So I can't wait to see what happens next with them because I feel like they could very well be like solid guys to have in that mid card and be kind of a gatekeeper in the tag in the tag division. And they, you go to Moose and Chris Bay. They were cutting a promo, kind of talking before their tag team match coming up later tonight. that was part of the main event. Moose and Chris Bay were going to be taking on Rich Swan and Willie Mack. We'll talk about that match a little bit later. And then we get to TJP versus Brian Myers, two former WWE guys. And I love the fact that they did this. Is that you had TJP, Brian Myers. And it was really, the one thing that was really weird was the fact they mentioned Brian Myers, formerly Curt Hawkins, his WWE career, but never said a single word about TJP's career up north. Never mentioned he was the first ever Cruiserweight champion in this rebooted Cruiserweight title lineage. It was all about. Brian Myers, they basically have put over TJP. Mind you, he's definitely made his bones with Impact Wrestling a lot more. He is part of the big story on with Austin Aries as part of Manic, and we'll talk about Manic a little bit later, but it was just something that was really weird for me. And that's all during his entrance, and Josh Matthews does a great job, put his notes together, but he still sucks at commentary. Brian Myers gets the win with the close lines from Stanford. And again, love the name of that finisher. It's absolutely perfect and it makes sense with the character. Then we get to the Deaner as a backstage promo. Cody Deaner says he's got to do this alone and says he needs to prove that he's not a he's a nobody. He's not a nobody, I should say. It seems like a double negative, but it works to Eric Young. Then you have another backstage segment with Rohit Raju meeting TJP backstage after his loss to Brian Myers and says that you know it just isn't his year, while saying for him it's been his best year. It's a quick match that ends with Young, excuse me. Then we get to the next match: Eric Young versus Cody Deaner. It was a quick match that ends with Young hitting the devastating pile driver. Then you have Joe Doring, Eric Young's uh, basically hitman, destroys cousin Jake. Looks like they're going to hit dual pile drivers, but Rhino, noted boat enthusiast, runs in to get the stop, and that sets up a match between er, between him, uh, Eric Young, and Rhino at Final Resolution this Saturday. Then we go to Tommy Dreamer backstage with Scott Demore he was hilarious here. He was, he's trying to convince Tommy Dreamer just to be a show because Tommy has his concerns about what's going on with Don Callis and Kenny Omega. And I love the fact they are bringing this up. It's not like, oh, hey, we're just going to go ahead and drop this in at the end of the show and have it be completely separate. They're already dropping in inklings of this into impact programming. And the fact that this was taped well before makes this seem like, hey, this was already something that was kind of talked about and discussed. And we're going to see what happens going forward. Then we jump to a Knockouts Tag Team Championship opening round contest. They're bringing back the Knockouts Tag Team titles. It's something you kind of forget about a little bit because that was a big thing going on in the late 2000s, early 2010s, until ODB and Eric Young won the Knockouts Tag Team titles and it became a kind of a joke. But this was absolutely perfect, and the way they built it worked well. And I love the fact they are having this come back in 2020 after we've seen the women's tag team titles in WWE kind of take a big hit in terms of notoriety and prestige. And this was a really solid tag team match between Ty Valkyrie and Rosemary versus the knockouts champ, Diana Purrazzo and Kemper Lee. And Rosemary and Ty advance to the semis. This also helps put over the match to be going on at final resolution between Purrazzo and Rosemary for the knockouts championship. So it's a great way to kind of put over Rosemary, but at the same time, Keep Perrazzo and crew looking strong heading into the pay-per-view. Then we get to a Sammy Callahan promo. He's in the ring. And he's going off saying that everybody watches Impact for him. And Impact needs the draw. He calls himself the draw Sammy Callahan. And says that he made Edwards it, it relevant, hitting him with the bat. And we're bringing this feud back from a few years ago. One thing that definitely drew a lot of people's interest was this moment. In, the, in Impact Wrestling is Sammy Callahan in the feud with Eddie Edwards where he busts him up in the, in, the head, in the face with a bat and he did this again a couple weeks ago and Alicia Edwards comes out and distracts him from Eddie showing up and they brawl for a little bit. Eddie gets the bat but doesn't connect and the death machine is out of the ring. He gets the hell out of Dodge. Then we get to the main event of the night. This is a really fast-paced show. The only other thing that was of note was, and this is something that I just kind of caught. It was the advertising. They had paid advertising from AEW promoting the Dynamite show on Wednesday with Tony Khan and Tony Giovanni, both there just talking about what's going on with Tomorrow's show and the old school, like, all the wrestling videos that you've seen on Facebook. The way they did this was perfect. How meta it was, talking about how Tony Giovanni hasn't been in TNA since, like, 2002, and then he left the business for 18 years. Obviously that's not quite right, but it made sense, and I absolutely love the fact they brought back the reference to Tony Schiavone in the late 2000s, in the early 2000s with TNA. Woof. Go look that up if you want to. It's pop on, but still, it was a great moment to kind of have this meta universe kind of collide. And this was a perfect way to kind of set up more things with Impact Wrestling and AEW. And I want to see what's going to happen going forward with this. Then we get to the main event of the night. Chris Bay and Moose taking on Rich Swan and Willie Mack really fun contest moots hits the lights out spear and starts laying in elbows on mac and then bay picks up the pieces for the win after rich one takes moose out of the ring really good finish and just a really fun tag team match and it sets up again it puts over what's going on with this like tag team and it sets up what's going to be going on at final resolution it puts over chris bay it makes you think that he has a legitimate shot at winning the Impact World Championship this Saturday or this past Saturday. Then we get to the Kenny Omega Don Callis promo, and this was absolutely perfect. It, sh- it kind of starts off with Rich Swan. He's wanting to leave the arena, and basically he's not allowed to. He's, he's like, and the guy at the door says that the champion has reserved the entire parking lot, and immediately Rich thinks it's moves, but no, it's Kenny Omega. And Josh Matthews is on the list, so he walks over to the bus and talks with Don Callis about how long this has been in the works. They change the name plates and throw a bunch of shade at John Moxley. Love that. And Don Callis says this has been a 27-year plan. And this all started with the Golden Sheik training him 27 years ago. And he's looked after Kenny like the invisible hand since he was in the business like his uncle did for him. And says this is all part of the plan. They changed the course of wrestling history for the second time. They said... The first time was with the Kenny Jericho match. They've set, they've made history again, and then Kenny talks and says he used to collect comic books growing up and mentions that he wants to collect a lot more belts. He currently has the AEW and the Triple A Mega Championship. We'll talk about that a lot later on in the program, but this teases a big announcer for Dynamite tomorrow night, and this ends with the goodbye, goodnight bang for the first time in a long time, and Kenny Omega looked like he just got his rocks off. Firing off the goodbye, goodnight, bang. Absolutely a great way to finish things off. And it was just a a great end to a show that if I watched Impact more regularly, I'd probably be very much into. It just felt like there was just something off with the show. Now, when I watched Final Resolution, that turned a whole different story, and I loved what they did with everything going on. And it starts off with the old school rules, Tommy Dreamer versus Larry D. It's so weird to see Dreamer in 2020 with a man bun and a mullet. I mentioned a while back, I think this was like about 10, 15 episodes ago, talking about Tommy Dreamer and how I didn't feel like he could cut it anymore. He cuts it well in this match. I think it's just the fact that you put him in his old-school rules, put these, these hardcore matches, it works really well. A very good old-school match between these two huge stakes with Larry T because he shot Johnny Bravo or his alter ego Lawrence D shot Johnny Bravo and said that if he lost he'd be going straight to the clink and this was just a comedy match that worked really well. It's a very solid work rate all throughout the contest. Really fun matchup. Huge stakes and AC Romero comes out towards the end of the match to help his tag team partner after the corner drum kick from Dreamer But Johnny Bravo makes his return to the ring, and he tries to even the odds, but nothing doing. AC tries to put him through the table, but Bravo moves out of the way just in time. So you got AC taken out after that. And then the finish, you see Dreamer hitting Larry D in the D with the kendo stick. And then it's the Dreamer DDT and sends Larry to the clink. Not the best Dreamer match, but a good one to start the show And to me, this is something I just observed is they show footage of the Omega bus again outside of the impact zone in Tennessee. However, it looked like it was the same exact footage from Tuesday. Then we get to the next match. Tenille Dashwood and Caleb with a K taking on Eddie Edwards and Alicia or Alicia, according to what they were saying. It was definitely weird, but okay. This was a really fun match and I kind of forgot the influencer gimmick was still a thing. I loved it when it happened. I think I love it a little bit more because it was just entertaining to see these two in the ring together. Definitely works as a fun comedy gimmick. And Caleb Connolly pulls it off really well. And then Alicia goes for the finish, about to hit a diet to the outside. But an ICU logo distracts her. And Danielle winds up getting the win, taking her off the top rope, and hitting her with a spotlight kick, which looked rough. And after the match, Sammy Callahan hits Edwards with the bat. And a package bottle driver leaves him late. And he almost does the same thing to Alicia, but the security comes out to stop the assault for her, not for Eddie Edwards. Don't quite understand that, but I get it. Gia Miller knocks on the door of the bus, and Don Callis tells her that he won't get in, that Omega won't get involved in the show and says he's visiting family. And she's going to see what's going to happen there after everything that went down on Tuesday. Then we get to Hernandez versus Falabaugh, and this storyline is absolutely insane. Apparently, Bostel stole Hernandez's money, but Hogan and Steel stole it from him. Never said Impact was great at storytelling, but this is just a really weird Background and this was a comedy match to the fullest extent. With you know Tasha Steele's being the guest ring announcer, she did a great job with that, and she was entertaining as hell. I loved her ring announcing; it was hilarious. And this is a really good match. And Hernandez got the win with a top rope splash. He, you no, know, Hernandez still got it. He's got the ability to still fly even in his late forties. Definitely a well done kind of guy. And then he was supposed to win the money in the contest, but Kiera and Tasha didn't have it, and then. Hernandez pulled out a switchblade, it look like, and I kind of popped for that. Now, yes, it's not good to basically have violence on a woman, but, you know, it made sense because you never want to stuff someone on their money, especially when it's actually their money, and you told them if they won this match, they would get it. It made sense, all things considered, and, you know, Tasha and Kiera just want to kind of getting the hell out of Dodge from there. And then we get to Eric Young taking on Rhino. This is a fine match, but it was kind of overshadowed by the story of Cody Deaner turning on Cousin Jake after hitting him with Eric Young's hockey mask. Fine match between these two and Young wins after hitting Rhino with the mask. Scott Demore. after that, he's chastising the Kenny Powers look like at the door for letting Miller through, saying that you don't let anyone in who's not on the list. And then Carl Anderson walks in, and basically he's let through, obviously because that's the family they talked about earlier. We'll talk about that in a bit. Then we get to the Defeat Rohit Challenge. Rohit with his final challenge of 2020. And they recap what's happened over the last couple months with the Defeat Rohit Challenge. With him losing to Jordan Grace. Winning by countout. We talked about that at the Victory Roadshow a few months ago. Everything going on with that. The promo with TJP last Tuesday. And then Rohit cuts a promo in the ring. And then Manix Music hits. Not just outright mention It's TJP as the man behind the mask. Because they all know. But at the same time, it's like, why do that? Let people find that out on their own a lot like how, you know, they would do in any other promotion because it just absolutely takes away from the intrigue. And I want to see more intrigue into like these characters because, again, I'm a casual wrestling fan. I'm a casual fan of Impact Wrestling, so I don't know everything that goes on with Impact Wrestling in terms of storylines and stuff in the past. But this was a really good title match, and it really showed how TJP is so damn good in the ring, and had just a good title match. Things started to pick up. This is after an hour of a show that felt kind of like blase. This is where things get a lot better as we approach like ninety minutes in. This is where the show gets better. Then we get to a banger of a match with Deanna Perazzo taking on Rosemary for the Knockouts Championship. And to further prove why I think Peraza may be my favorite women's wrestler this year without question. Yes, I could probably put Asuka in there. I could probably put Bailey or Sasha in there. But I think Peraza has proven herself to be like one of the best. Because she just absolutely crushes it in her role in Impact Wrestling. Retains the title. And after kicking out of the Red Wedding, well, excuse me. Kimberly pulled Rosemary out of the ring after she hit the Red Wedding. Look, She was going to get the three count. And it was just a really well done match. And Deanna Juana having time to recover and then hits Rosemary with the modified gotch pile driver, and it looked brutal. It was a well done match. Probably one of my favorite matches of the night until the main event. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Then we go to the bus, and Anderson and Omega are reminiscing about Japan and a pomp for the fact they brought up fat ass Masa. Anderson says he's got to go and take on Ethan Page. Carlson Omega says he can win that in about two minutes. They want to see that old school. The gunner, the man that ran things in New Japan, the top of the G1 climax match with Okada, everything about that was amazing. That they bring all this stuff up is great. Makes you wonder if there's going to be a partnership down the road. We'll see. Then we get to Carl Anderson versus all-ego Ethan Page. And again, the show kept getting better. And this is another prime example of that, because if Ethan Page won, he, they'd get a shot at the Impact Tag Team titles. And this was a perfect match between these two and Ethan Page continues to impress me and I know he known as a free agent after this year and I know he gets a big opportunity with either AEW or WWE because he has a solid talent and good character. I want to see what he does going forward. Josh Alexander tries to distract Anderson but it doesn't work and Carl hits the, him with the gun stunt and it was a phenomenal sell of that move reminded me of RVD's RKO sell from Extreme Rules 2007 love that and then Josh Alexander comes out, and he he tried to distract him, distract Carl Anderson. But then he gets in the harangue and leaves Page, taking off the jacket, signaling possibly the end of the road for the North. So it'd be interesting to see what happens going forward with that. Then we get to the main event of the night: Chris Bate versus Rich Swan. And this was a banger of a main event that lived up to the hype. These two are such great high flyers. They put together a phenomenal match between these two. Well done. Very much what you'd expect from these two. And it was really cool because someone brought up this was the only the second time Bayview was main evented with two main of, two African-American wrestlers involved. Blew my mind by that. Then Josh Matthews slips in an announcement about Genesis being on January 9th. Two MPEG Plus shows in two weeks. They announced Hard to Kill as well, which is already kind of confirmed on the 16th. Definitely weird of seeing that, but you know what? It is what it is. And this is just an absolute back and forth. Tons of awesome spots. You know, Swan using a handstand, a counter base finisher was really cool. And really just a well done main event with Swan retaining the title after the deep kick and a Phoenix splash. And then after the match, Moose comes out and takes the impact title for a split second and hands it over to Swan. I did not understand that. But it's probably meaning, oh, these two are going to be facing off down the road, possibly in a unification match. We'll see how that goes. But I would love to see that. Because, again, it's time to kind of get rid of the TNA title. Time to just end that storyline altogether. And it's time for Moose to probably kind of take over as the champion and then transition over to Kenny Omega, maybe. Now we get to AEW Dynamite, the intro for that show this past Wednesday. It continued to do what I love from last week, recapping the events from last week, because it does it in just a certain way it works. And then we get to you know the opener of the match, they go straight into it the Young Bucks versus TH2, and this was such a damn good match. Again, it's everything you wanted for this match and more. If you expected certain Soleil on steroids, this is exactly what you got. Tons of high spots, coordinated double team moves, and it was so damn fun. With TH2 kind of starting things off, they get the win. They start out right away, just absolutely beating them down before the match starts. And then everything just kind of becomes a absolute cluster. They hit the melter driver outside of the ring, which was just badass as all get out. But this was something that I kind of just noticed throughout the night was I think the sound of the crowd at Daily's Place, they added that in and it sounded a little too sweetened for me. It was a little too loud because at points you weren't able to quite hear everybody. But it was one hell of an opener. Bucks get the win with a BTE trigger. And then the claim try to get the jump on the Bucks, but SCU cuts them off in the pass. And I said this last week, and it's continuing to make me realize how much I hate the fact that they do this every single week on Dynamite. It's like at, right after the match, there's got to be a brawl. There's got to be something going on. It's like, come on now. like Eventually, it's going to get tiring, and I think this is just another reason why. And then MGF cuts a great promo on Orange Cassie saying he'll destroy the smart marks and keep the diamond ring in his possession. I loved it. Again, it really proves why MGF is better than you, and you know it. And by the way, MJF, you know, why not give us a podcast rating like you've been doing the last few weeks over on Twitter? You can follow us at Cajun Strong Style, C-A-J-N Strong Style. Also follow me at Clint Domingue to ask your questions about what's going on with the world of pro wrestling for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. We drop every single Monday at 1 o'clock. So make sure you check it out. And then we get to a promo segment with Darby Allin, another classic video from him. And this was the best thing he's done to this point with these videos. Because sometimes they just get absolutely just dumb. This was perfect. Because it was the Rorschach test, and it actually led to something. He called her Brian Cage for a match with a TNT title on the line. And the way they did it was perfect. I also loved his reaction to the stinging blot at the very end. It was great. Him just smiling and kind of laughing. It's like the first time we got to see him actually emote. And then you go to break, come back, sting promo time. And I was surprised to see this come within the half opening half hour. Of the show Cody Rhodes is out and Tony Schiavone is in the ring. They're about to start an interview, and then boom, Sting's music hit. Absolute chills when he came out. Then he tells Tony to come in for a hug, and it's time for him to do the it Sting call, and he does it, and it's absolutely great. And all the marks pop for. Then you hear the piped in, "This is awesome chant," and then Sting saying it too. It was like that was the one moment where I was like, "Do we really need him to say that?" I I I was like, "I'll pass." And now it's Cody and Sting in the ring. he says, there's something very familiar about this place. And then why does it point to Darby in the cheap seats? Alluding to the whole staying in the rafters thing. And why are we continuing to basically say Darby is staying? I'm staying. And it's absolutely just, I'm tired of it. But I love the fact that this was a great promo. And he talks about how he'll be around for a long time, but keeps the mystery of why he's there intact. And then the team Taz promo. By the way, Taz had a career resurgence the last couple months. I think him having this stable was the best thing that ever happened to him. He gets a promo reacting to it, saying it's like, oh, that was so touching and so cool. Then he touches a lot of different things. It even announces their training hook now with Ricky Starks and Brian Cage training him in their dojo, which I love the nice touch there after what we had with the Cody Rose promo a couple weeks ago. FTR versus Varsity Blondes is up next, and this is a great tag team match. If you haven't seen Brian Pillman Jr. in action before, you're missing out. Go check out some stuff from MLW. He has done some amazing work in the last couple of years, and he's proven himself to be maybe a little bit better than his father, who passed away many years ago. And also love the fact that every time Pillman went for a springboard move, FTR just dodged it. It was perfect, and it reminded me so much of with Joe when he was in the X Division. Every time somebody tried to do a dive, he would move out the way. It was perfect and really well done. FTR gets the win with the good night. Express tons of replay angles of the finish, and they all look great. It's like sometimes you just have like a bad angle every part of that match had really good angles in terms of the camera shots and the replays. He showed The overhead replay was badass, and I think it's underutilized. Then after the match, we get more kind of bickering between FTR and Jurassic Express after everything happened the week before with the Dynamite Battle Royal, and FTR basically is going to continue to try and feud with those guys. Then we get to 10 versus Dustin Rhodes. Quick match with Dustin winning with the Bulldog, and Dark Order invites Dustin to join the group and become Seven and then obviously it's a WCW reference and then Rhodes pimp slaps evil Uno and again evil Uno maybe an underrated seller he sold that thing like he got shot and it was absolutely well done and we're not even done with the first hour yet and we're already to a shack pre tape they packed a whole hell of a lot of stuff in this show and the pre tapes paid off this was a really quick one I wish it had a little bit more to it and it's all about putting Jay Cargill over and progressing the feud Brandy Rhodes is there. And throws water at Shaq after he said that Jake could give her some pointers while she's recovering from the arm injury that she suffered on Dynamite. And then it made me wonder, who's actually the heel in this? Is it Brandy? Because she just seemed like she was an ass all throughout that segment. But it makes you it just makes you wonder what's going on. And then the inner circle ultimatum goes down in the next segment with MGF addressing things and says a lot of different stuff and basically tries to fix things and say, you know, Sammy Guevara tried to throw the towel. And it turns out Jericho's like, we all watch the show. We know what happened. We know what you tried to do. And he gets out of it. And Ortiz says he's growing on him like a fungus. He still hates him, but it's like, you know, he's growing on him. And demands Sammy shake Max's hand. And then we get to Sammy actually doing it, but says if MJF does one more thing to him one more time, he quits the group. And I love the fact they added that little stipulation and then they had a kind of funny segment with Hager being like, oh, hey, I have a problem. Why is he always staring at me? And then Mortal's like, why are you always staring at me? <laughs> the fact that he did that. But then they all kind of get together and all like, okay, we're good. And they all put a middle finger out. Ortiz puts both, one for Santana, who wasn't there. He was, wasn't was there due to the fact that he was actually kind of keeping himself away. because He wanted to see his nephew be born and want to see his baby nephew, which is a really great thing to say the least. Awesome stuff. And makes you appreciate, you know, Santana and Ortiz a little more because Ortiz had an autism t shirt. It was just so well done. It makes you want to actually root for those two guys whenever they do break away from the inner circle because it feels like that's going to happen down the road. And then we get to a six man tag match. Eddie Kingston, Butcher and the Blade taking on Lance Archer and the Lucha Brothers. Very much a fantastic six man tag match with. Things just coming right out of the gate, and the, the ring match doesn't even start. and It's just an absolute pure six brawl. After Archer just jumps over the top rope and lands on Kingston inside the ring, it's a pure six brawl. Pentagon gets put through a table by the Butcher before the match starts. He was injured; looked like it was gonna be a write-off for him for Triple Mania, which I'll talk about later. But he wasn't quite that injured, at least from what we can tell. Butcher and Blake get the win after hitting the neckbreaker powerbomb combo on Phoenix. And then Archer starts waylaying everybody except Kingston, who runs like a skull and a dog. And then Blade's about to get hit with the blackout, but, you know, Butcher saves the day, gets him out of the ring, and that's it. I want to see Archer versus Kingston so bad now because I think this just has so much potential. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that's going to go. Then we get to Abaddon versus Tesha Price. We get to see Abaddon on Dynamite and the real life living dead girl. If you've ever seen some of the stuff uh, Penguin does on YouTube. He absolutely, she absolutely is the real-life living dead girl. Much better. It's a quick squash match, and she wins with the Widow's Peak, which is just awesome in and of itself. And she continues to beat down (laughs) and puts down her future opponent and beats her down, and she just saves the day and hits her with the kendo stick, knocks her out, but then Abaddon sits right back up. Really love the mind games between these two, and it really builds hype for a match that, I wasn't. I get. I mentioned a few weeks ago. It was like we need more women's matches to put over more talent. I think this alone has already kind of established Abaddon as an absolutely cool character. Then we get to Omega and Callus's promo. This is towards the end of the show. I love the fact we waited for this point. Omega and Callus come in via helicopter, going from a bus in Memphis to a chopper in Jacksonville. Was a pretty baller move. And this is very similar with the Impact promo, kind of touching on the same kind of basis. It touched on all the hits, saying he was the invisible hand and mentioned that you wanted seven-star Kenny. Now you've got him. And Kenny basically says he's going to get even more surprises come down the pipeline. How many more surprises do you have? But I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with this. And I'd say keep an eye on Impact Wrestling because I think we'll be seeing more stuff with that down the road. Then we get to the main event. MGF versus Orange Cassidy for the Dynamite Diamond Ring. And this is all MGF from Jump Street. Cassidy rallies not too long after the commercial break and hits a dive on in your circle. Fast forward and it is a full-blown Donny Brook outside the ring. Sabian hits a clothesline liner orange Cassidy, which helps MGF get the win. And he has the ring for the second straight year. Absolutely love the way this match was. It was booked perfectly. And it sets up something for next week with a 7-on-7 tag. That's going to be one of the big matches next week on Dynamite. I can't wait for that, because it seems like it's going to be so much fun. And it's always impressive to see how much AEW fits into such a tight schedule and this moved at an extremely brisk pace. And the promotion is really starting to find its legs. And I think now that they're building off the momentum, they're striking while the iron is hot. I cannot wait to see what happens next with AEW Dynamite. And the all Elite wrestling and the Impact storyline, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I want to see it. And then finally, let's kind of get a quick look at Triple A, Triple Mania, their WrestleMania. And this was a really good one. I always watch the show just because it'll wind up being a bleep show. Things will just go completely haywire. This was way better than I expected it to be. This was supposed to take place on August, but obviously COVID-19 played a role in this not happening the way it was supposed to. I'll hit on some of the big things because the second match was a triple threat match between the Lucha Brothers then you have Mystices and Octagon taking on Los Mercenarios, hoping I'm pronouncing those right. And the Luger Bros wind up getting the win. Pentagon at one point leaves the ring, feigning an injury, comes back, hits a super kick. Then they hit the Fear and Factor for the win to retain the tag team titles. A really fun one, but I think everybody was talking about Kenny Omega versus Laredo Kid. This was a banger of a main event, and this absolutely deserves a lot more love, go out of your way and go check out, this is live on YouTube which is a boss move to begin with, but go out of your way, go on YouTube, check this out, this is about two hours into the show, right after a Marvel Lucha Libre match which I'll probably get into in a future podcast because it was just so nuts to see that, Kenny Omega and Laredo Kid tore the house down with even Kenny hitting a top a second robe, I should say. Second robe, one-winged angel. It looked brutal, and just everything about that was perfect. But I think it's all about the hair versus hair match between Pagano and Chessman, which, oh my God, was perfect. It was a hard-hitting, no disqualification, bloody match. All hell broke loose. Even Hugo Savanovic got hit with a damn damn guitar. I was like, what the hell is going on here? Like It was just so crazy, nuts to butts. So much really awesome spots all throughout. And Pagano wound up winning after damn near killing Chessman multiple times. Just a hard-hitting match. I'd say go check out Triple Mania. If you want to kind of get an idea of what Lucha Libre is all about, if you've never checked it out, in terms of like outside of whenever you see like Rey Mysterio in the WCW days, go out of your way. Check this ish out. That's going to about do it for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Make sure you leave us a five-star review, six stars if you're in the Tokyo Dome for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 103.7 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. You can check it out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 103.7thegame.com, the free mobile app, and so many other ways. I think the only way you can't listen to us is through the FM dial, and I think on Spotify as well, at least for right now. When we get on Spotify, we will let you know. Because trust me, we want to make sure you listen to us any way, any time, anywhere, any place. Because trust me, pro wrestling is what matters most in this world, at least to me. So hopefully you enjoyed this week's podcast. We'll be back with you next Monday.